Father, we want to thank you for the privilege we have to even celebrate the ushers, a ministry you set up right from the beginning of the temple. These people are wonderful ministers of God. They serve you with great sacrifice. Awesome moms, awesome fathers, awesome youths dedicated to the service of their God with joy. We see them. They endure a lot because they love you and they love us. Thank you for each one of them. As we share, Lord, we trust you to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. So we're talking about ushers Sunday. So we're going to talk about ushers a little bit, and then we'll talk about some other things that concerns everybody. So um, I'm going to talk about serving God is a way to worship him. Serving God is a way to worship him. Our text is 1 Corinthians 14, 40. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. Let all, let all things be done decently and what? In order. All things, not some things. Be done decently, decently and in order. So uh, as a word of introduction, the ushering ministry is really a very important ministry in the church. What they do, I want to enumerate what they do. They assist anyone who might need help at any time during the service. They help let commas find seats so that there is no distraction during service. That's what they do. They give information to worshipers, especially newcomers, as to where the restroom is, baby stations, and any other, any other service they might require during service. By their service, they make sure there is no distractions during our service so that all of us can get the best of our time together so that people can concentrate and worship during singing and also listen during sermons and announcements. They collect our offerings and tithes in an orderly manner. So they make sure that we do all things decently and in order. For, the, uh, for our, our God is not a God of confusion. I think that they're really doing awesome service. To God be the glory. Now, ushers, the ministry of the usher has always been. It has always been. Right from the start of the temple, ushers were appointed. In 2 Kings 22, verse 4, we see what they do, what they, I mean, what they were doing in the Old Testament. Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. They call them keepers of the door, doorkeepers. They have so many names, doorkeepers, and even all those kind of names they call them. Gatekeepers, doorkeepers. He said, the keepers of the door, all that they bring all the money they have gathered of the people. So they were collecting offering of the people. And you know, in Solomon appointed priests, he also appointed ushers. They have been there from the beginning of the temple. Very important ministry. Very, very important. So in, in the temple, 2 Corinthians 8:14, Solomon now appointed ushers as his father David instructed him. 2 Chronicles 8.14, and according to the order of David, his father, he appointed the divisions of priests for their service, the Levites for their duties to praise and serve before the priests as the duty of each day require, and the gatekeepers, the ushers. 
by their divisions. They even had divisions at each gate. So, and so David, the man of, as for, for so David, the man of God, had uh, commanded. So we see that ushering ministry has always been from the temple, even up to now. Now, at the time of Jesus, you say, who were the ushers? All his disciples were his ushers. Because the church had not started. The church didn't start until Jesus rose from the dead. You couldn't be saved because he hadn't risen. The blood hasn't been shed. There was nothing to believe to be saved. So he was operating in the Old Testament at the time. As a prophet of God. As an apostle. As a pastor. As an evangelist. As a teacher. He was all of that. So his ushers were his, his disciples. They were the people that regulated who came to see Jesus. They were the people that organized who came to see Jesus. So look at John chapter 12, verse 20. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So they came to Philip. So they were, all, they were acting as ushers. They came to Philip and said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Then Philip came and told Andrew. And then turned Andrew and Philip to Jesus. So they were, they were his ushers in his own ministry. And then you can look at when the children came to him. They were the ones that said, No, you don't come. So they were the people, they were regulating who would come to Christ, just like they regulate us here too. So that ministry has been very, very important, you know. So let me even talk about the usher and his or her ministry. See, we pastors and preachers, we preach up here to the congregation. But the usher ministers to the individual. Very, very important. The usher ministers to the individual. We minister to the crowd. But they do one-on-one ministrations. There have been testimonies of people who gave their lives to Christ by the way, an usher welcomed them. I've heard a story of a, a stingy brother who would grumble about giving money. And when the usher stood, God opened his eyes. The hands were at the hands of Jesus. I don't know if anybody had that testimony. Am I the only one? Eh? Who else? You had it? The hands were at the hands of Jesus. And the brother was like, oh my God. So I'm giving to Jesus. Of course. The usher is serving Jesus. It's a ministry that is very, very sacred, very, very important, has been from the beginning of the temple. So, while the, while the, the, the usher is ministering to the individual, he has tremendous opportunity, incredible privilege to present Christ to everybody. Because action speaks louder than words. And you know, many people come to church with bodies, hurting, angry. I know sometimes when we got saved, me and my wife, I use us as an example. We come to church, we have quarreled in the car, real quarreling. And guess who was the cause of the quarrel? Me. And then we come immediately, we see our you know, like, oh, for a good one inside. And we submit our report. Immediately after the grace, we get back into the car. The quarrel will start where it stopped. Then I didn't know Christ. I didn't know grace. 
I was trying to change myself. I will show you it doesn't work right here. I experienced all of that. Since your heart, they didn't know how to get it up. Remain really carnal. Seriously carnal. So the usher meets a lot of people in church. Some people who are sick, pain in the heart. It's a great ministry, people. Silent but effective by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he must come up with words of love because people are hurting. People can come frowning, but they have to present Christ. They have to speak words of healing. They have to be kind in how they talk to people. So in Ephesians 4.29 to 30, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Let everything you say as an usher, as a Christian, be good and helpful. Some things we say is not helpful at all. Some things we say hurt us, hurt people, and grieve God. So that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember now, he has identified you as his own, as his usher, as his Sunday school teacher, as his life center leader, as his minister, as his son, as his own, his representative. He has identified you as his ambassador in your family, in your job, everywhere. He looks at you as his the person I have here. And so the usher must not quarrel. And so is every person who is hearing me. A Christian must not quarrel. A Christian leader must not quarrel. You don't gain anything by strife. Instead, you destroy things by strife. Husband and wife, please you must not quarrel. <laughs> it is the devil's trap. Don't take it. I'm begging you. Second Timothy 2.23. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. It's easy to start. The devil is so tricky. It's easy to tap you. And arguments and anger starts and war starts flying out. So don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not. Must not means must not. There is no justification in the eyes of God for anybody he has identified as a servant to quarrel. No justification. None. Servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Be a grudge, speak evil of people. That's not how to serve Jesus. But must be kind to everyone. Must be kind to everyone. Anusha must be kind to everyone. 
people who are difficult, you know, to, to move, and they're not moving. And we do that because we, people are still carnal. A lot of people are not spiritual. I'm telling you the truth. We do that because people are not carnal. Because we still allow the physical to control us. So you are going to encounter a lot of people who will not respect it, who will not listen to you, because they are rebellious by nature. They have not grown. They are spiritual babies. Verse 25. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. You see? <laughs> Why do you argue? If God doesn't change somebody's heart, you are wasting your <laughs> just wasting, you're just waiting for nothing. One thing I've learned with God is, okay, let's continue. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. I was teaching this on Thursday. I don't know how many of you who listen to the Bible study, but I was saying this on Thursday. You will not, you will, God didn't send us to go and convict people of sin. You can't do that. Because the heart of the king is not in your heart. Jesus said, nobody commit to me except my father draws him. Well, you can't do that except God does that. You can't, you're wasting your time. We are sent to just preach the gospel, that's all. And love people. Verse 25 again, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's heart and they will learn the truth. 26, then, that's when they will not begin to respond. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. See what we are dealing with? With argument? Can you, can you deal with this with argument? For they have been held captive by him. You can't, you, argument doesn't... Nothing here. If I when you argue, he puts he puts he puts Petro. Both of you go into his trap. And then people pass and say, We saw too much men talking. They say no, they are Christians. So we say no. He puts you into their class and you get their level. I've said it over and over. Don't fall for the trick to reward evil for evil. You are in trouble already. You get the same reward that they get. Why do you do that? For they will come to their senses, escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. And so Anosha must be also a student of the scriptures. In 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of the truth. We must, must, must study every Christian. We'll come to this again. Then the usher or every Christian leader must be prayerful. And I'm not talking about bringing bucket list of you know, things that you want to God to be doing for you. It's wonderful to do that. But do you know that when you grow spiritually, some of those things you can speak them into happen. Some of those things by your words of faith, you call them into happen. Colossians 1.9, for this reason, we also, since the day we had it, do not cease to pray for you. 
what kind of prayer is Paul praying for the church? And to ask that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. I've always said if you go to everywhere Christians are praying, you won't find any, script, any, any prayer from the scripture. Either they are fighting the devil, and, and they, they fought him on Monday, they fought him on Tuesday. Next week, they are still fighting him. My question is, when will you beat him now? Most, and, and fighting the devil is not prayer. People say, we're going to all night prayer. What, they were fighting the devil. That's not prayer. Prayer is our father, which what? You are talking to God. You don't pray to the devil. You cast out devil, it's not prayer. That's what people do. That's what they do. All night fighting. But Paul is praying the things that will equip the Christian, equip the Christian to be optimally used by the Spirit of God so that his life will count while he's alive. And if the Spirit of God equips you, you produce far beyond anything you would have imagined in your life. Far, far, far beyond in your personal life, in your service to the Lord. You produce fruit, the fruitfulness that will come out of you in your family. In, or you become a virtue that God is using to bring people to their senses and to bless them. Your prayer will be so powerful, so effective. Because here you are. And God is leading you to pray about his program. About what, about what he's doing. And it is that thing he's putting in your heart that you're praying that he will answer. Prayers should not originate from your human mind. Everything you do in life must be sourced by the Spirit of God. Everything. We fail. Isn't God the Alpha? Quit <laughs> is the beginning now. So Paul is saying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. For those who know their God shall be what? Strong. And do, they won't be running around looking for prophets and who to pray for them. Because they have grown. They are matured. They know how to pray. How can you be leading people and you don't know how to pray? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Now, qualification for the ministry of the ocean. Qualification. And that is for all of us, too. He must be born again. Matthew 7, 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. We served you as usher, pastors, whatever. And then I was professing unto them, I never knew you. You're not born again. 
depart from me. You are workers of iniquity. Charles Wesley said it after preaching for how many years? He said this, come to realize that many people in church are not born again. Because that's why they don't change. And that's why they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand the word of God. That's Charles Wesley. These are people who preach under the power of God. Who God used to, to bring thousands into his kingdom. You must be born again. Genuinely born again. With faith in Christ only. Not in your works. Not in your works. But in the finished work of Calvary. Your boast must be only in the cross of Jesus. Any other thing will not give you salvation. That is called false doctrine. I must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that's the condition. The condition for us to serve him. Luke chapter 24 verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He said, wait, don't go. You need the power of the Spirit. Acts 1, 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You know, I went to Nigeria, I was preaching, and I said, why are people asking for anointing?
the bestowed on us, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies. A decisive dedication of your bodies. Presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice. Holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God. Quit is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Can you see that? A decisive, a purposeful decision to surrender everything to him. All your faculty, all, all this, you know, all this human wisdom, they say don't lean on it, kick it off. Don't lean on it. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Everything, everything you have, your money, everything. What did you come into this world with? I was sharing with somebody. Okay, Lord, it's okay. Our reasonable service and spiritual worship is a decisive dedication of everything to him. So that my mouth will control my heart, he controls. My going out, he controls. Everything. So when I come here and call him Lord, heaven says, Amen. That's true. Otherwise, heaven will say he's a hypocrite. And Job said a hypocrite cannot stand before God. And this is how our Lord Jesus sat his father. Exactly. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So being equal with God was not robbery. But first he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. God became a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. That's how Jesus started this ministry. He didn't come healing people. No, no. He started from there because that's, it. that's where worship and service starts. Everything he was as God, he set it aside and he did. He said, he said a body you want, a body I brought you. That's what he said. He said, you are seeking for a body. I have brought you a body to use. I came to do that with you. Period. And look at this life. John 5, 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of what? Himself. I'm not trying to do anything. Because I'm, 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 I'm a sacrifice to my father. But what he said the father do. For what things ever he does, these also do it the son. I don't, my life is in him. I've given it to him. Brethren, that is where service starts. John 5, 13. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. John 12, 49. I don't speak of my own authority. I don't even go and start yapping and talking. No, I don't do that. The father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. It's called consecration. 
Paul laid it all on the altar for Acts 20, 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news and about the wonderful grace of God. In Philippians 2, 17, he said, Philippians 2, 17. Can we read it together? One, two, go. My life is being what? Poured out as what? As part of the sacrifice and service I offer to who? To God for your faith. My life is poured out. It's a sacrifice. I give it to him as worship, as service. Devotion out of true love for God. John 14, 31. But I will do, listen to what Jesus said. But I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. I'm not doing this by, by force or anything. It's because I'm motivated by the love I have for my Father. That's why I'm giving him everything. He said, let's go. <laughs> Going to the cross. So let's go. I love my Father. Luke 10, 27. So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord thy God with what? All thy heart. With what again? All thy soul. With what again? All thy strength. With what again? All thy mind. And your neighbor. You know, I've always wondered, I said, Lord, what is this? You love the Lord thy God with all your heart. That should be the glory. But you added, the second is like what? Unto that. And the Lord said to me, he said, the reason Listen to me. He said the reason is that it's easy to know if you love God. He said, if you can't love a man you see, you, can't, you don't love him. He said, that's why I put it there. The second is equally important. Why? If you can't love a human being you see, you don't love God. If you come single, you want to. You don't. That's why he said the second is as like unto that. The second is that shall love what? Yeah, so God is saying, if you love me, I'll, you show it in loving. <laughs> You're not talking. Are we asleep? You show it in what? Yes. Let me say something here. Look up here. Let me tell you. What you can't do to a man, you can't do with God. If you are, if you are rude when you talk, watch how you talk to God, you are going to be rude. Because his character flow. If you are rebellious, you will also be rebellious to God. What you can't do, what you cannot do with a man, you can't do with God. First John 4.20 If a man say, I love God, and hated his brother, he's a liar. <laughs> he said, you're lying. Because you don't love me. The second is like unto that. Will you love them? You love me. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? It's clear what God is saying here. The second is like, he told me, he said, the reason I put it is because the gauge of loving me is how you love him. It's how you love him. He said, the gauge of respect you have for me is how you honor the authority I've placed over you. If you don't respect the human authority I've placed over you, say, obviously, you don't respect it. One man was saying to the Lord, he said, the people you sent me to, they are not listening to me. He said, why should they listen to you? I said, because they are not listening to me. If they don't listen to you, 
They won't listen to me. God said, they won't, they're not listening to me. False worship and false service is motivated by selfishness. Mark 7, 7. How be it in vain they do worship me. Did you see that? They worship, but it's, are you tired? Are you with me? If you are with me, shout hallelujah. How be it in vain they do worship me. So it's possible to worship in vain. Teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Eight, for laying aside the commandment of God. They hold the tradition of men as washing of pots, cups, many of such things they do. Ritualism, they get into ritualism and they leave my doctrine. And they come and say they are worshiping me. Mark 23.5. But all their works they do to be seen of me, motivated by self-recognition. They want people to see them. They want people to recognize them. You know, the senior pastor and the senior pastor here. I told Dr. Mubi, I said, all these status could be, okay, Lord, no, I'm not good. <laughs> he stopped me, he said, stop that. Matthew 23, 5. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, enlarge the borders of their garments, and up rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the market, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. So the love title. Summary of all of this is a love title. If you don't call them that title, they won't serve God. If you remove the title, they get angry. And it's happening today. They want to be called this, called that, called that, called. What do you need that? You know people who were popular. <laughs> Let us even learn this simple. People who were so popular, like Zeke of Africa. Nobody knows him anymore in Nigeria. Nobody. When he was popular, man, all we're talking about in school was Zeke. Nobody knows him anymore in the entire world. Nobody knows him anymore. All that glory has what? I don't care how important I am or you think you are. The moment you enter this ground, give a few more years, nobody will remember you. You're gone. But that's why we want to call all this thing we want to call. <laughs> what, what relevance, what value is it with the eternal things? It's immaturity. Children don't place values properly. Adults do. So to be a true worshiper, we must learn how to live the spirit life. Because we have to worship in the spirit, not in the flesh. And it is easy for anyone who has Christ in him to live the spirit life of faith and love. Very easy. It only takes knowing how. Galatians 5.16, I said then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lost all you need to do is to keep walking in the spirit, then you will not walk in the flesh. Then your service to God will not be of the flesh. Your worship to God will not be of the flesh. You will not end up a hypocrite. Walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. 
So God wants us to worship him in the spirit. So we have to walk in the spirit. This is the key to pleasing God, though, and living a spirit-filled life, spirit-led life. Let me give you the key to walking in the spirit. It's found in Romans 8.14. For as many as are laid by what? I want us to read it together. Let's go. For as many as are laid by the spirit of God, these are the sources. If you want to grow in spirit, in the spirit, you have to be laid by the spirit of God in everything. Everything. Jesus said, I don't have my words. I don't have my plan. I don't have anything. I'm laid by him. There's no doubt. It's called walking with God. Walking with God. So you either walking led by the Spirit of God, or you're walking led by your flesh, but not both of them. And when you're led by your flesh, you're essentially being led by your human understanding and wisdom, which God warned us, lean not unto your own, but when you lean on it, it separates you from fellowship with God, and the devil loves to do that. Because he knows that when you start using your wisdom and things, you start something you can finish and he can destroy it and God will not interfere. So if you want to learn to be led of the Spirit, there are a couple of things you must pay attention to. Number one is that you must be a, a student of the Scripture. You must. There's no question about it. Colossians 3, 16. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your life. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful heart. This is one very, very important. The Holy Spirit will guide you through scripture all the time. Oh, unless you have not walked with him. All the time pointing you to scripture. All the time taking you there. Look at Luke chapter 16, verse 27. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you will send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers there, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses now and the prophets. <laughs> they have them. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, if one rise goes from the dead, the grave opens and he gets up and he goes to them and starts preaching to them. They will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded even if you send a ghost. They will hear. If you can't hear what is written in the scripture, even if you, the Holy Spirit will not bother you. This is Bible. He said, even if you send anybody from it, they won't hear. Where you start is that which is written. You start it. But many Christians don't. Because they believe when I have a problem, I buy a ticket and fly to where <laughs> Have you read? Okay, Lord, I'm not going there. 
Through study, it's having a revelation of scripture. It's not just reading it. You have to have a revelation. And that revelation needs to be rooted in you and begin to control your thinking and your actions. It's not that you read. You can quote Bible on the head. I, I was telling Chuka yesterday. Even that one. Acts 16, 14. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart. This is key. My brothers and sisters, let me save you from frustration. This is what delivers you from trouble. This is what brings you healing. This is what brings you everything. Revelation, the truth that you know is the truth that will set you Free. You don't want to know it. Carry on. And that revelation comes only from the Holy Spirit. Jesus said flesh and blood cannot reveal me to you. It's not possible. That's why I say all you are told is to teach or to preach. You can't do beyond that. One of them was Lydia from Tatara, a merchant of expensive purple cloth, who worshipped God as a lesson. She was interested. The Lord opened her heart. And she accepted what Paul was saying. This is studying of scripture. The Lord must open your heart. I keep praying to, I say, Lord, this word must enter. I'm not going to assume it's there. I don't want to walk in presumption. Lest I die. Lest the devil deceive me. I want that word in me. If it doesn't get in, it won't bear fruit. You know, Paul had abundance of revelation. Why? Because he was interested in knowing Christ. He, was, he said, I found there is no knowledge that's superior to knowing Christ. None. So God gave him abundance. When you read the writings of Paul, I get amazed the level of revelation God gave this man. And you know David, the same thing. Look at, look at Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.2. I determine not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified, period. I want to know him. That's what he said. And he began to seek to know Christ, and heaven opened to him. Psalm 119105. The word, thy word is lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. So if you don't have the word, you don't have light. You don't have lamp. David in Psalm 119, if you read all of it, you see how this man was so delved into the word of God. He said, I hid it in my heart. He said, man, he said, it's sweeter than ever. If you see what he wrote about the word of God, David. What was the result? He had abundance of revelation. He even spoke about the time of Christ. Every word of the cross, he mentioned it. Number two. Keep their heart with all diligence. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of what? Your life. Let me tell, tell us something. Canal life is as a result of canal thinking. Spiritual life is as a result of spiritual thinking. Every human being gets thoughts. All of us. Let me tell you there are three sources of thought from you. From the devil, from God. 
But the one from the devil and the one from you work together. Because from the one from you is coming from your intellect. It's from you now. It's not from God. But the one from God is the one the Holy Spirit will work with. So a Christian must train himself to know the source of his thought. If a thought comes to you, every Christian here, listen to me. If a thought comes to you and you start dwelling in it, you own it. And once you own it, as a man thinketh in his heart, it becomes your reality. Initially, it's not yours, but you were not able to discern where it's coming from. You start thinking about it, dwelling on it, dwelling on it. Pretty soon, you own it, it becomes yours. And what happens is it becomes your reality. Carnal life comes from thoughts that originate from man, human intelligence, human. This spiritual life comes from the, life, the thought that originates from the Spirit of God. And if you know scriptures, you can know which one, where it's coming from. Can I, say, can I hear amen? I said, can I hear amen? I don't have time, I would, I'll stop here. Because I will show you how Paul wanted to change himself. And he felt, <laughs> he said, woe is me. And then he went to scripture. Fine, let me read it finally before we. He now went to scripture. Romans 5, 17. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. You see, he's confused here. Yeah? Verse 22. But there is another power within me, oh, that I war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? That's where many Christians are. They are struggling with it. He said, thank God. The answer is saying, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he found he couldn't change himself. The only person who can change him is Jesus. And the only person who can guide you to victory is Christ. The only person who can guide you to great pasture is Jesus. The only person who will guide you to, to um, great pasture and what? Eh? Still waters is Christ. So let me read for you what he now said. Look at what he now said. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified Christ. See, his testimony has changed. It is no longer I. I'm not trying to change myself. It's no longer I. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by complete faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes from the law, then Christ died in vain. From that point on, he said, I am now a follower of Christ. Can you put First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1? That's where I stopped. I put New Living Translation. New Living Translation. First Corinthians 11.1. 1, New Living Translation gives me the word I'm looking for. Is that what you have? No, no, no. I think uh, King James Version. Either King James or New Living. I don't know which one. But this one says, be, be ye followers of me, even I also... I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, as many as are laid. You got it. Let's read it together, everybody. Want to go? Followers of me, even as I'm also now, as many as are laid. He has queued into it. I'm now being laid. My life is no more controlled by me. I have given it to him to guide it. My thought, my word, my everything. I can change myself. As he walks through me, he makes me what I. Praise the Lord. 